The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. So, Warren Ingram tonight, a topic inspired by a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago in celebration of a remarkable individual's remarkable work anniversary. That remarkable individual is David Shapiro, who many of you will know as a remarkable communicator in the world of investing in shares, in stockbroking, an incredibly generous man and a very kind spirit who has <laughs> educated generations of people, particularly people in media like myself, a long time ago with patience and kindness for a very, very long period of time. But he said something um, in that interview where we just paid a very brief tribute to him that freaked out a friend of mine. A friend of mine sent me a message afterwards, after that interview, and he said, Your interview with David Shapiro the other day got me thinking. After 50 years of trading on the JSE, David Shapiro says this, George. The worst thing is I still have to be here, you know, I still have to work, and that's that, that, that's an admission. I wish I, w- I wish I didn't have to. I wish I'd made enough to not to work, but, but, but I enjoy I it. I really it. love. Yeah. I, you know what, Bruce? And I love what we're doing now. I love the conversations. I love sharing uh, my knowledge and experiences. And so my friend says, I take it to mean that he wants to remain actively employed rather than retiring and downgrading to a day trader, partly for the fun of it, uh, and for pocket money while enjoying a well-earned retirement. Do you know why that would be the case? Surely an adult kid's a, a guy of his kind and his skills. He's made more than he needs. Um, that part of the interview keeps giving me nightmares because I'm under the impression that I'll be able to do what I want once I've taken my kids through education system and have settled the bond, am I dreaming? So what I'm going to do is Warren Ingram to say, is my friend dreaming? Warren Ingram, uh, because he has a guy who's been working at the forefront of stock markets, who I'm sure has made very sensible financial planning. But after 50 years of work, David Shapiro makes it very clear, I have to keep working. Um, and, um, you know, uh, and he's got grown up kids and kids are all over the world and he likes to travel and visit them. But yeah, it's understandable when somebody of David Shapiro's experience and stature says, I have to keep working. The rest of us schmucks go, hold on a second, what are we missing? <laughs> it's such a um, it's such a tricky conversation, Bruce, because I think it's about uh, the, the lifestyle that you want to live and and then deciding if you've got if you've got enough assets to fund that lifestyle. So just very simply, you know, if if, if there is someone out there that you know spends, let's say, you know, two hundred thousand rand a year to fund their lifestyle. The, the the truth is that they they probably only need twenty times that to to be able to to reach financial independence and maybe to be really generous you say well you know put a margin of safety on that and say twenty five times that so you know quickly doing my calculation while I'm talking to you you know that that that's not a huge amount of money that's five million rand um, which I know is a fortune for a lot of South Africans but but in the context of of funding a lifestyle like that it's it's not a big amount of money. But make it two million rand a year, and and suddenly that becomes uh, you know an asset base of fifty million that you need, and and so when we talk about you know someone getting to financial freedom, 
is it you know is it a case and 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 neither you nor I know know anything about David's position. So so I mean I'd hate to make this about David, but but but, no, no, but the but point it was is simply to illustrate the point that somebody who's been working for an awfully long time, who we we respect and we know is is responsible and grown up, uh, he's got too many shirts and ties. But that's just you know he, that's his one negative. When he we did um, our make money Mondays <laughs> in those days, he had to admit that he had a penchant for spending money on shirts and ties. But otherwise. Travel was his most important thing. But let's move away from David and let's talk about the principles of ensuring that you are able to retire one day at an age where you can actually enjoy the fruits of your labor that you've worked so hard to achieve over so long. And so and so then we get to the point that, that you, you need to, to eliminate the, the role of luck in your in your in your whole kind of financial planning. And the, the, the way to do that is to make sure you control what you spend. Because because controlling what you spend dictates how much capital you need one day when you stop work, and and so that you know that example of the person spending two hundred thousand a year and the person spending two million, you know that that's a massive difference in you know going from five million to fifty million, and, and I would argue for most people in the world, you know being able to 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 reach financial freedom with with an asset base of fifty million rand will require a fair amount of luck. It's not just going to be about discipline and skill as an investor and all of those things. You are also needing to be lucky. But for most of us, if we work over our, over a decent career, being able to retire with five or 10 million rand or you know, maybe 20 million rand will, will require a lot less luck and, and, and can be reached by discipline, you know, making a few trade-offs every now and then and controlling your expenses. So, so listening to the, the the question that was sent to you by your friend, I mean, I do think your friend's uh, dreaming a little bit because you know, you know, as you, if your goal is I'm going to educate my kids and pay my bond and I'll be fine, I'm I'm very sorry to tell you that's not fine. You're not fine. You're you're on your way to being fine, and it's it's well done. You've you've reached some goals, but but what you haven't done is build up the assets. You know, and, and let's use the example, you know, you, you need you get to your 10 million rands worth of assets so that you can pay your cost of living one day when you're no longer earning an income. And I think that's the point that a lot of people miss here is they're so focused on the, the today and, and you know, the immediate tomorrow and they, they forget about their future selves. And that's the part that's bugging me with, with this whole conversation for, for a lot of people out there is, you, you know, they're, they're, they focus on, you know, a lifestyle asset like a home. And yes, you've got to pay off your bond. It's, it makes all the sense in the world. But your home's not going to generate any kind of income unless you're renting out, you know, every single room in the house and you live in the tent outside. So the, the truth, the truth is, you, you're going to have to get assets that generate you an income as well. And unless you've, you know, you, you've, you've said to the kids, "Listen, I'm going to educate you, and then you're going to look after me in retirement," they're not your income plan either. So, so that's the part, you know, that I think we we need to get people to focus on is you've got to look after yourself as well. You know, and, and, and that means build up the asset base that, that covers you. And again, it's not looking after yourself is not a selfish act. Um, looking after yourself is the kindest thing you can do for your children, for your family, for your extended family, because you do not want to become a burden on those that are younger than you, those that are healthier than you. You want to be able to ensure that you are self-sufficient and able to look after yourself. It, this idea of looking after yourself is not a selfish act. In fact, it's a massively selfless act, provided you, you, you're doing it to alleviate pressure later on. 
Well, I think we get a great example of this from the airline industry, you know, and, and it's it's top of mind for me because I, I was uh, for, not forced, but I, I, I embarked on my first flight uh, since since COVID started, and and you know to go and to go and see some some of our clients. Um, and sitting in the plane, uh, I duly listened to the air hostess explain the safety briefing. And the thing that struck me was was her saying, you know, um, remove your COVID mask. And and you know, if there, if there's an emergency, let, let's say, <laughs> be, be clear, if there's an emergency, remove your COVID mask, put the oxygen mask, which will fall from the roof of the plane, on yourself first before you help anybody else. Now, that's in no way a selfish act. What that's saying is. You need to be in a position to have enough oxygen so that you can help the you know friends, family, children around you, and that's the truth. The truth uh, around money as well is you need to be in a position where you're not a, a a victim of 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 financial disaster because you've taken care of yourself, so that you have the financial oxygen to take care of everyone around you. And and I think a lot of the time, you know, that, that's what happens. Yeah, that would be the the one question I'd love to ask David is. Are you still working because you spent all your money looking after your kids and friends and you know and family? Because that that would make a lot of sense to me. But but that's the the reality for a lot of people in our country is that they they are they're under huge financial strain because they're they're there to look after everyone else as well, which is a good family responsibility and a good ethic. But but missing the point that they've got to look after themselves in the process. Considering how few how few jobs there are. And how few people are actually employed at the huge level of dependency through nobody's fault, um, uh, you know, other than they've been badly let down by poor economic policy making decisions and uh, and by the the rank theft of the fiscus. I'm, I'm bored of myself already. Um, it, it's you know, other than you know, it's not their fault that they're out of work. Um, it's just that the system has let them down, and so therefore those that are in work are left carrying the can. In a moment, I want to talk to you, Warren, about another issue, and that is shares and positioning portfolios because if we are going to be talking about financial independence and becoming more self-sufficient we need to understand the way of the world and stock markets and things at the moment and i would like to pick up on that with you in just a bit the money show personal finance with warren ingram a huge amount of volatility in stock markets around the world. Deep uncertainty, Warren. In- interest rates are going up across the globe. We've seen two rate hikes here. We anticipate the Americans are going to do the same. The Russians are sitting tap dancing on the border of Ukraine. Um, the Chinese economy sort of uh, from month to month looks like it's teetering on the brink of disaster to recovering in huge demand for iron ore. How are we in this world of great unpredictability and uncertainty meant to be thinking about investing? I think we also just need to add to that uh, part of the question, the um, casting our minds back, you know, a couple of years ago to to when, and I'm going to call them quacks, so it's my word, but but I know you had some other choice ones for them, Ophir. Uh, people standing up, you know, and saying, look, cash in your retirement funds, send all your money out of South Africa, you know, the JSC is a basket case, uh, and and you know, invest invest everything globally. Uh, and and subsequent to that, we've seen the JSE deliver some fantastic returns, and and yes, the global markets have done the same. But but 2022, that story is is very different. 2022, we're seeing, you know, tech shares falling out of bed. The JSE actually not so bad, and the rand, uh, d- depending on the second, I think not even the minute, somewhere below 15 rands to the dollar. So so I think when when we look at the the, the situation now. 
be really careful of of kind of getting caught into any kind of uh, of hype and and fear fear mongering from from talking heads who have a completely different agenda to you. Which is, you know, for most of us, our agenda is we we want to kind of get get to financial freedom as fast as we possibly can. The, the person selling you a story uh, might have a completely different agenda, and and in that context. I think when you make a decision about investing in growth assets, and for me, growth assets are are generally going to be you know shares on the stock exchange, uh, and and you know you can argue property sometimes, but most of the time it's shares on the stock exchange. If you're going to make a decision like that, one of the things you're going to have to decide is: Are you buying shares when they are good value? And, and always, you know, when people look at value, that they, they they might get misdirected by saying, "Well, the price has been." Shooting up for quite some time, so the thing must be expensive now. The stock market must be expensive, and and last year would be a case in point. The the JSE was up twenty nine percent over the calendar year. So a lot of people might be tempted to say, okay, that that means it's now expensive. That's not true. What what you need to look at is is something different. And there are a whole lot of metrics, and and you know the the stockbrokers and fund managers love to complicate this, but but a fairly simple measure that you can kind of Google is what is the PE ratio. Of the market, and 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 we don't have enough time to explain all of that in in, but what, in the what show. Is the, but if you take last year's profits of all of the shares on the JSE, and you say how many how many times more, how much more am I expected to pay than last year's profits? I'm expected to pay twice as last year's profits. Then the market is incredibly cheap. Ten times last year's profits. That's still quite cheap. Fifteen times. Hmm, it's getting pricey. Twenty times. Oh. Don't like that. 25 times. No, hold on a second. The market's expensive. It's the multiple of last year's profits that we're talking about here. That's all. Fair enough. Nice and simply explained. Thanks, Bruce. You saved me there. So so I think um, when you look at the JSE, the, 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 the PE ratio you're looking for is around about 15. If, if it's below that, uh, and, and obviously the further below that, the cheaper it goes. If it's above that, you know you're, you're in expensive territory. Uh, and you know, t- take thirty seconds to Google it, and you'll see that that, that it's round about twelve now. The the, the P of the, the the JSE. What that's telling you is that it's still cheap. It's cheap after it's delivered a return of twenty nine percent for for last year. So so that's telling you that putting money into something that, that that is cheap, and it's an entire index. We're not too worried about choosing individual companies here and saying, no, oh, well, hang on, it's cheap because that company's about to fall over. You know, there, there might be reasons why individual companies are cheap, but looking at the whole market, much easier to make a fairly uh, you know, um, good view on, on what's going to happen in the future. And, and when the JSE is at these levels, the likelihood is it's giving you 15 or 20% a year for the next three or four or five years. And not a guarantee, of course, but, but that's a decent return to get without having to apply your mind too much. Yeah. When you look at the developed markets, you know they've fallen over a bit, and they're giving you. They're currently at a PE of twenty-two. And as you said, Bruce, you know when you're sitting at at, in, at PEs of twenties, that, that, that's telling you, look, this is not a great time to, to to kind of deploy all your money and expect to get you know double your return every year for the next few years. It's it's likely that you're not going to get a great return for the next few years. Nicely put, thank you, Warren Ingram. In a moment, I'd like you to explain to me this question. I would like to know what's momentum investing. Is it opposite to Sunlam investing or old mutual investing? You know what I mean. <laughs> momentum investing. That question in a moment. The Money Show. Personal finance with Warren Ingram. So, Warren Ingram, what is momentum investing? Uh, as you pointed out, nothing to do with insurance companies. Momentum investing is when 
uh, traders, especially traders, but but sometimes fund managers as well, will, will look at uh, a market or a share and and realize that there is a huge uh, positive sentiment to that market, and and people are buying up the, you know, and pushing the price up on a on a big sustained basis. And so a momentum investor will be tracking things like how many shares are being sold. Is there you know is there a lot of volume in this, and and is there a big sort of popular demand? For this, for this share, if there is, then they'll buy in. You know, basically aiming to ride the tide of of that ri- you know that rising share price. The, the the goal then is to is to sell out before you know the, the tide goes out again and the momentum stops. <laughs> and so, so I mean, so, so the Fangs stocks uh, that were so famous up until about a year ago, um, they were momentum shares. They were just going up and up and up and up. Facebook and Amazon and all of the other Fangs, um, Netflix and all of these things, which could show no weakness whatsoever. When the sell off started, it was very very quick and very very painful, and we've seen a massive destruction of value. That's what you mean when it means getting out on time. Exactly right. And, and it's not about, uh, you know, people trying to determine value or doing major calculations. It's just about riding the tide and then hopefully timing it well enough that you get out. And as you point out, if you get it wrong, you end up losing 30% in a day. Yeah. And that's why you've got to be careful of people selling hot trends um, and hot ideas and look at the history of the last five years um, and the, sort of people extrapolating that forward. That's what you've got to be cautious of. And I think that's your warning. Absolutely. And I, and I think often you've got to be a little bit contrarian in this whole thing and look at where, where people are not going to, you know, the, the unloved parts of the, of the investment markets, because that's really where the good value is and where the opportunities will be. And you can wait an awfully long time uh, on the sidelines of that particular game. But that's a discussion for another day. Warren Ingram, thank you. He's a director at Galileo Capital. He's a personal financial advisor.